0: This is People Every Day. Coming up, inside Travis Scott's first interview, following the tragedy at his Astroworld Festival that claimed the lives of 10 people. Plus, Josh Duggar is found guilty at his federal trial for child pornography. And taking you inside last night's star-studded, fashion-filled premiere of Sex and the City spinoff and Just Like That. It's December 9th. Hello, folks. This is People Every Day, and it's me, Janine Rubenstein, in your ears this here Thursday. It's cold and rainy out, and the news overfloweth today. So let's dive right in. Josh Duggar, of 19 Kids and Counting Fame, has been found guilty on the charges of child pornography brought against him in federal court in Arkansas. So rather than recapping how this came to be and what it all means, my colleague, Adam Carlson, who was dispatched to Arkansas to cover the trial in real time, is here to quickly break it down for us. Take it away, Adam. So after a nearly
1: two-week trial on child pornography charges in Fayetteville, Arkansas, Josh Duggar finally learned his fate on Thursday morning when jurors returned after six hours of deliberation to announce that they had reached a verdict in his case. The judge read aloud the decisions while Josh sat with his defense team, and it was guilty on both counts, knowing receipt and knowing possession of child pornography. When the verdicts were read, Josh's wife, Anna, sat expressionless in the front row with Josh's dad, Jim Bob Duggar, and some other relatives and supporters. They were seen hugging each other with their arms wrapped around one another um, later than proceeding uh, and following the guilty verdicts. The judge immediately moved to have Josh put into detention pending a sentencing in uh, about four months. Outside the courtroom, prosecutors and defense, uh, the defense team both made brief remarks. The prosecution obviously celebrating the verdict of what they say was an important um, you know, investigation to stop a child predator. And the defense is now vowing an appeal. Josh faces up to 20 years in prison or a pretty stiff fine of about a quarter of a million dollars. For each of his counts. So we'll know more in a few months after the probation officers are done with their kind of investigation to submit to the judge and, you know, the defense still says they're going to
0: appeal. Thanks, Adam. Now it's time to dig into an interview that caught us all by surprise this morning. Rapper Travis Scott sat down with Charlemagne the God for close to an hour to talk about the tragedy at his Astro World Festival last month. It's the first time he's spoken in depth about the incident, which left 10 people dead and hundreds injured. And it's fascinating. Charlemagne asked a lot of questions so many of us still have, including what Scott knew and when he knew it, and whether he feels responsible for creating a dangerous atmosphere at his show, seemingly time and time again. So there's a lot to get into here, and joining me to help is People's Tomas Mier. Hi, Tomas.
2: Hi, Janine. How's it going?
0: Good. Well, let's jump right in. Charlemagne started off by asking Scott how he was doing personally and how he was reacting to the grief and anger he's witnessed from some of the victim's families. So what did he have to say about his mental state?
2: Travis basically shared that he's been reflecting a lot, that he's just been in a room trying to process everything that happened. Um, And he talked about how his fans are part of his family and that he's devastated by uh, the loss of, of 10 of his fans, including one very young boy. Um, And he said that he's spoken to some of the loved ones of the families, um, but he also understands why others are refusing to talk to him. And also um, several have um, declined his offer to pay for their funerals. Um, But he says he'll be there for the families if they need him.
0: Well, I want to play a few bites here and and there and then talk through them. One of the, the big questions folks have for Scott is when exactly he realized that something was wrong. So let's listen to what he said.
3: Yeah, it wasn't really until like minutes until like the press conference until I figured out exactly what happened, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, Even after the show, you know, you just kind of hearing things, um, but you don't know, I didn't know the exact details until, you know, minutes before the press conference. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: And even at that moment, you kind of just like, wait, you know, what? Like, you know, you just went through something and it's just like, wait, what, you know?
4: So you didn't know people that actually Passed away
3: and stuff. Wow. Until minutes before, you know, Mm -hmm. which is you know, and at the thing is like, you know, people pass out, you know, people, you know, things happen at concerts.
0: Tomas, what else did he say about what he felt was going on from his vantage point? Because we've seen those videos of him, you know, still rocking out on stage as just chaos is happening down on the ground.
2: Yeah, that's the thing, Janine. A lot of people are concerned about that because they say he could have seen the ambulances or the lights or the people coming in and out and and yelling, stop the show, stop the show. But he basically doubled down on the fact that he could not see or hear much of what was going on because of his in-ear piece, the music, the pyrotechnics, the lights
0: yeah and i mean we do know even from staffers and you know people who knew people there that there were two different concerts going on there was the horror of what happened and then there were people who had no idea who were standing somewhere else and having you know the time of their lives so it is possible i guess but uh, i want to go back to the the concert element and the fact that it it continued for 40 minutes after organizers agreed to stop the show.
4: Live Nation um, reportedly agreed to end the concert early after the Houston PD and the fire department declared it a mass casualty event, but the concert continued for another 40 minutes. Was there ever any, ever any communication to you on stage that you should end this? Well, yeah, I mean, they just
3: told me right after, you know, the guests get, get off stage, you know, we're gonna end the show, you know, and that's what we did. You no, know, other than that, there was no other communication.
4: No. Oh, so after, you mean after the guest, what you mean?
3: Yeah, after the guest comes out, okay. we're gonna going end the show. But it wasn't communication on why. You know, it was just, you know, that's what came through
4: my ears. You know? Oh, so they didn't say stop now. No.
0: And so he's saying the urgency, you know, wasn't expressed to him. Like, OK, we're going to wrap we're gonna after Drake comes out. Um, but he also spoke about a report that police warned him about the crowd earlier in the night, saying that police did speak to him before the show, but just touched on the fact that there had been a crowd rush at the gate. So, Tomas, did he accept responsibility for any of what happened?
2: I would say no. He basically was saying that it was part of the organi- organizers that were part of the issue. Mm. Um, he mentioned this like issue with merchandising, and that's what the crowd rush was regarding. But he denied that his music was to blame or that he had anything to do with the crowd control. And he said that his role was as an artist and a creative producer. Mm. Basically said that part was not his responsibility.
0: There is a lot of uh, overlap with what he's saying. And and if I'm just recalling another big sit down we had recently, Alec Baldwin, uh, you know, naming himself as a creative producer and one that didn't have a hand in all of the, the details. But speaking of his music, a lot of people have accused him of encouraging violence uh, routinely, maybe um, specifically raging at his shows. Raging is similar to what we've seen in mosh pits for years. But Charlemagne did push him on this. So let's listen to that.
4: You know, you didn't on this night, but in the past you've encouraged, I guess the kind of energy that could have led to something like this happening. Mm -hmm. Do you think that contributed to the energy of this night?
3: Yeah, nah, I think, you know, it's something I've been working on, you know, for a while, um, of just creating these experiences and trying to show like the experiences happening in a safe environment. Mm -hmm. You know, us as artists, we trust, you know, professionals to make sure that, you know, things happen and people leave, you know, safely. You know what I'm saying? And this night was just like a regular show. Mm -hmm. You know, it felt like to me, Um, as far as like, you know, the energy people, it it didn't feel like it was like, you know, people didn't, I don't, people didn't show up there to just be harmful. Mm -hmm. People just, I think showed up to have a good time and then, you know, something unfortunate happened. And I think we really just gotta figure out, you know, what that was, you know?
4: Does, Does raging make it harder to identify when something is going wrong in the crowd?
3: Well, I think, you know, raging is just a, You know, they have a textbook, you know, definition. But, you know, in concerts, we've grown it to be... Just the experience of having fun.
0: Unpack this issue for us a little bit here. So why is there such a focus on the energy at Scott's shows? And and what can you tell us about the legal issues he's had in the past regarding that? Yeah,
2: here's the thing, Janine. Like, it's obvious that raging is violent. There's hitting, there's punching, there's running around in crowded spaces. So the whole idea of raging already indicates that there's going to be something of that sort. Um, He's spoken about raging before and in 2015 he said that he would encourage fans to find anything you're going to consume to get you lit, that's a quote. And he was previously arrested for disorderly conduct in 2015 after encouraging fans at Lollapalooza to climb over barricades and rush the stage. And then in 2017 he was arrested for allegedly inciting a riot during a concert in Arkansas. And he ended up pleading guilty to disorderly conduct. We should also note that he's a subject of a lot of lawsuits. And on Monday, his attorneys filed responses to 11 lawsuits that name him as a defendant in relation to the tragedy and basically generally denied the allegations. And he, quote, respectfully requested that the claims against him and his company be dismissed without prejudice.
0: Mm, Wow. Well, we will definitely see how all of that pans out and, and what is next for him. All right, Tomas, thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Janine.
0: Next up, I'm going to lighten things up with the help of my boss, People Editor-in-Chief Dan Wakeford is here to dish out all the details of last night's big premiere and after party for Sex and the City spinoff and Just Like That. Last night was the premiere we've all been waiting for. The cast of Sex and the City's revival show, and just like that, walked the red carpet for their HBO Max opening night. And let me tell you, they did not disappoint the shoes. God, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker showed up like the fashion icon she is. And as longtime SATC fan, I was so here for it, you guys. Well, our editor-in-chief, Dan Wakeford, was actually there for it. And I have asked him to join me now to give us all the details. Hi, Dan. Hey,
5: I don't leave the house very often these days. I covered so many showbiz parties in my youth. And this one I had to get a ticket for because it was the number one party of the year in my mind.
0: Oh, my goodness. I'm so jealous. Okay, I don't know if you know this about me, but I have a deep love for Sex and the City. I admit I haven't seen the first two episodes, which were released last night. But believe me, I have a date with my besties, Carrie, Miranda, and Charlotte tonight. So where are you at on the scale of love for SATC? Like, have you seen episodes one and two yet? I mean... I moved to America, to
5: New York City because of Sex in the City. It's what <laughs> lured me to move here. Um, I just loved the world and was enthralled and it was one of the reasons, obviously, I came for a job and a new life, but it was so exciting and it was something that made me fall in love with New York City. And I was so excited to attend the screening and I've seen the first two episodes last night.
0: Oh, my God. So, okay, let's get to the the reason we're here. That red carpet premiere, first and foremost, before anything else, Um Can you just set the scene for us? What was the energy like and in detail?
5: Everybody had their outfits on, whether they were going to pose on the red carpet or not. It was a lot of gays and girls. It was a lot of fashion, and um, it was the the energy was great. They were serving chic cocktails. Like there was the whole glitterati of New York were there. It was Gail King, Katie Couric, Andy Cohen, Amy Sedaris, a whole smattering of fun people um, and fashion faces, all big Sex and the City fans, excited to see the show. And that was the before party. There was pre drinks a screening and then a big after party
0: take me into that after party please
5: It was a little bit too late for an old man like me. (laughs) So the after party was, in fact, at Barney's. They converted Barney's, which is now closed down the iconic high-end department store. And um, uh, Stefan Beckman, who runs all of the fancy parties in New York, transformed it, turning it into a pink nightclub. And it was very, very fabulous, Um, amazing food. Of course, there was Cosmos. Um, There was candy jewellery made exquisitely given for presents as you left. And it was such a great scene. You could tell that it was a family and the cast were a family and everybody was was um, enjoying seeing each other and celebrating this amazing show. Uh,
0: Well, I saw that my girl, Sarah Jessica Parker, arrived with husband Matthew Broderick and their eldest son, James. I love seeing families walk the red carpet these days. That never used to happen. But can you tell me about that moment and her outfit? We we have to talk about that dress.
5: Well, it was really lovely. As soon as I walked into the party, I saw James and Matthew. And James was just beaming, so exciting. You had to think this, this show is older than he is. He's 17 or 18. Years old, and this show's been going on for a lot longer than that. And they, they just seem really, really proud of Sarah Jessica, um, who looked stunning. And I thought it was interesting. I felt it referenced her um, opening credit dress, the um, ballerina tool um, tutu that she gets splashed within the bush, because this dress was also tulle, and it had a pink skirt, Oscar de La Renta. It was grey fabric with a pink slit. And I think it really kind of referenced. How the show had aged, and how and and how um, Carrie had progressed as well, and it, and it was stunningly beautiful. And obviously, she wore stilettos, her own stilettos from her own collection, SJP stilettos. Um, and it, the the dress had a sweetheart neckline and beading throughout. It was absolutely stunning.
0: Well, were there any other notable moments or looks from the red carpet? And also, we're not going to give anything away, but you got to tell me what you thought of the show of the two episodes
5: well miranda was wearing fluorescent orange and um uh, cynthia nixon was obviously and she looked amazing i mean all of the stars looked absolutely amazing and everyone was really having fun the show uh, we all went into the auditorium and for the first 10 minutes i'm like is it going to be good is it going to be good and to begin with i was like are we there uh, like it, it, is this going to work it, it's a little bit flat and then bam there is a plot twist that will keep you enthralled. I was so emotional, and I'm not going to tell you what type of emotion, and (laughs) I cannot wait to watch the third or four episodes. This is a review from a big Sex in the City fan. You'll have to see what our lead critic, Tom, says next week in the magazine. But in my mind... It really worked as a concept. We're looking at the women's lives as they've got older. They're 55. They do address where is Samantha straight away, straight at it. And it's done very well, I feel.
0: Oh, nice. And, and then is there any mention or, I mean, I heard that it wasn't going to be part of the show, but at least last night, Willie Garson, were there any mentions or tributes or, or anything like that that you, you heard?
5: Yeah, there was. Uh, Michael Patrick King, the show's um, creator, um, gave a big speech at the beginning. And death is a theme in the show. And um, he kind of talked about the idea of the positivity and the celebration of Willy and that tonight we're all getting to hang out with Willy and to laugh with him and enjoy him on the screen, which was a really, really emotive moment. And when um, Willy first came on screen, the whole um, auditorium was just cheering and clapping and it was um, overwhelming, full of emotion.
0: That was People Editor-in-Chief Dan Wakeford on the premiere of And Just Like That, starring Sarah Jessica Parker, Cynthia Nixon, and Kristen Davis. For more on this story, head over to People.com. Also, quickly, there's a new podcast I want to share with you. It's called Morgan's Pop Talks, brought to you by The Dip. Each week, Morgan goes over the pop three headlines of the week. She covers topics like Kravis, Courtney and Travis, The Bachelorette, Winter House, and anything else that's trending. And then, Morgan does a Deep dive into questions that you, the listener, submit and breaks it down so you can understand the how, when, and why. You can find Morgan's Pop Talks wherever you get your podcasts. And now, last but not least, something to make you smile. There's a dog in Sin City who's known for doing tricks, but not the standard, you know, roll over or sit. He's a star on the ice. <laughs> Yeah. Benny is an eight-year-old Labrador retriever that was just honored by the American Kennel Club for Canine Excellence and was named this year's Exemplary Companion. So three years ago, his owner, Cheryl Del Sangro, taught him how to ice skate, and he's been the talk of the town ever since, let me tell you. Now he works with the National Hockey League's Golden Knights. When he's not chasing down a hockey puck or, or doing other stunts on the ice, he's helping kids and young adults with developmental disabilities, into their confidence on the rink. So his owner told the AKC he's like a magnet for the kids and creates an instant comfort zone. He especially relates to children who may have to skate or learn differently like he does. They know he doesn't judge or care how they skate, just that he sees how excited and happy they are when he is with them. You guys have to see Benny in his groove. The story is up on People.com now. Well, I am off tomorrow, but I will leave you in good hands, I promise. And I will talk to you sin